Hi there, everybody. This is Tracy Malone from Narcissist Abuse Support. Today, I have got Rebecca Zung with me. She is one of the top attorneys in the United States, and she's going to talk to us today about litigating a divorce with a narcissist. So, Rebecca, will you introduce yourself and give a little bit more bio than I just gave there? <laughs> Thank you. Um, sure. Um, let's see. I am a divorce attorney by trade, is what I normally say, because that is sort of the basis of my skill level. Uh, and, um, you know, I've been recognized by U.S. News and World Report as one of the best lawyers in America, and I'm AV rated by Martin Delhoff. And I'm Avo rated 10 out of 10 and all of those things. But I've also written two books. Uh, one is Breaking Free, a step-by-step -step divorce guide. And that came out in 2013. And, um, and then just a few months ago, I, I published my second book, which is Negotiate Like You Matter. And the foreword uh, was written by Robert Shapiro for that one. Uh, I am also the creator of the course slay your negotiation with a narcissist and slay actually stands for strategy leverage anticipate what the narcissist is going to do and focus on you and your case um and that just rolled out a few weeks ago and it's doing incredibly well um and I have a podcast called Negotiate Your Best Life, and I have a YouTube channel, which is my name, Rebecca Zong, which um, I also talk a lot about narcissism and negotiating with a narcissist and narcissism in the context of divorce and custody and all that sort of thing, um, based on my experience uh, as a lawyer for the past uh, over 20 years. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. You've got the credentials, girl, that's for sure. And we've interviewed before, and um, and this is um, going to be a really good talk today because we're going to talk about how do we um, negotiate when we get into lit litigation, which is really the, the three buckets, if you ask me, when, when you know, you, you either are the dumpy of a divorce or the dumber because some people do get away and, and, and request that they want the divorce, which really infuriates the, the narcissist even more. How dare you? Um, mm -hmm. They like to have that control. But yeah. um, the, the first step is to possibly, door number one, I call it, is, is to, you know, negotiate and settle and agree on something mm -hmm. and, and just like th that's the perfect world is wow we want a divorce what do you want what do you want okay have a nice day yeah. yeah, that, that never happens with narcissists <laughs> how's that work for you that is that is a, you know you know the big x like when you're watching house hunters international and they <laughs> they, they 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 immediately el eliminate one choice that that's the big x uh, already if you have a narcissist wow. or two involved that's a zero that won't happen no, because it also gives, it gives, you know, it, it starts out like that. I think in a lot of cases, the narcissist will tell the, the, the I'll call them the victim, right? The, their, their spouse, um, that they, they want to settle out of court. Oh, they, they will always say that. You know, it's, it's, oh, well, we'll save money. Let's do it this sure. way. Um, yeah. We've actually had people. It's, it's code for, I want control over this entire process and I don't want you to have a good lawyer. And 
Is that true? <laughs> that is what they, they, they hate when, when you hire a good lawyer. And, and so many times, I know we both talked about this before, they, they just go, oh, you know, fire that lawyer. You can use mine. Or, you know, they, they just want to sabotage what you've already done, which, you know, really takes a lot of courage. When, when someone is like, told they want they're getting a divorce just that step getting to a lawyer it, and, and researching it and making that decision it takes a lot of courage it takes a lot to get out that door and pick a lawyer and then as soon as you do you're you're you know hit on the head by your your husband or wife going well not that lawyer i hear they take everybody's money and they're 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 gaslighting you to try to sabotage that very monumental step you took Absolutely, a hundred percent. And 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 in my experience, if they are still under the control of that narcissist, even if they know the person is a narcissist, even if they sit in my office and tell me for an hour about what a pathological liar and manipulator they are, they'll still be pulled into believing their web of lies and believing that. Well, he said that if I go and talk to him and we have a meeting that, you know, we'll be able to settle this peacefully and, you know, and, and really it's just this big yarn to try to get them in to get them to agree to things. And then once they've agreed to the things that they want them to agree on, whatever they agreed to is no longer on the table anymore because now they want more or something different or, and then it's your fault that it had to be changed because you said something to someone, did something, smelled something, I, I, whatever. I mean, you know, breathe the wrong way. Um, now, now it's all changed anyway. So. But I think that, 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 initial sort of thing that we're talking about is a test for them. They want to know what you'll take and then they take the bar down, right? Um, if you're going, okay, I'll, I'll listen to you. I'll come and we'll talk to the person you want me to talk to. They're, they're testing like a little dog leash to see, can I control them? Can, is she still willing to trust me and, and listen to me? Can I still, you know, orchestrate this process and and you say I'll agree to this and they know where the bar is so now they just know where to lower it right yeah I mean I think it's a test and and it's it combined with how much can I get out of that person um, early on and get them to agree to and then I'm gonna hold them to that agreement as well um, you know I had another conversation with a client this morning who you know, he's already talking about buying her out of the house and he's already trying to tell her how much it's worth. And, um, and, you know, and, and this guy, you know, is the heir to millions in trust money and all kinds of stuff. And, um, and I said to her, you know, I, I, you cannot be settling things like piecemeal like that, especially before we've even done one scrap of discovery. I don't have one piece of paper in front of me. So I have no idea anything about whether that deal is fair or not. I mean, this table couldn't tell you 
any more than I could right now about whether that deal is fair. It's all about that, 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 you know, initial mask. It's, it's like, they're, they're just presenting this, like here, I'm being so generous. Take this. Oh yeah. Then, and then you're caught off guard. You go, okay, well, he's being fair or she's being fair. Um, but it's all a game. It's all, all a manipulation. Totally. Totally. Because, you know, I mean, here's the thing is that, you know, narcissists, and I say this a lot, is, you know, that whole 10,000 hours thing about how it takes 10,000 hours to be an expert at something. I mean, narcissists have spent, since they could talk, basically, (laughs) practicing how to be as manipulative and, and controlling as possible and how to get people to do things that they want them to do. And, and, you know, so that for those of us who, always try to see the good in people, always try to assume that, you know, maybe the, the, the better thing will happen or maybe we could have a good outcome from this. Um, you can't think that way because they don't think that way. They don't think that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, so, you know, you're, you've got one person that's hoping for the best outcome and another person that's hoping to take advantage of you as much as possible. And um, those are not, that's not a good combo. And we have to remember that, that that's their goal. We, we know that um, their goal is to take as much advantage of you. And, and we're going to play a game. Um, okay. You and I, we're just going to do it like twice. So I'm going to do like the one, two, three kind of a thing. And you're going to tell me the same, we'll say it at the same time, the number one goal that narcissists want in a divorce. Ready? One, two, three. Manipulation. (laughs) One, two, three. Win. Okay, I said manipulation. Yeah, winning, control, manipulation, um, destroying someone, right? Um, Their goals are not the same as ours. Hurt Um, you. Hurt you as much as possible. Make you look as bad as possible. Make themselves look as good. Make you look as bad as possible. Make themselves look like a victim. Yeah, um, the victim, the good one, the one that should be sided with, the, the, the normal one, the reasonable one. The other one is the crazy one, you know, the bad parent. And then, and then bottom line is to get what their needs are met. Which is supply. I mean, honestly, that's what they really need more than anything is narcissistic supply. And, and they get supply out of controlling you, controlling the process, making you look bad, making themselves look good. So um, they, they do want to win, but not, that's not like their only goal. Like it, it's not like that's the end. I mean, yeah, they, 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 they want to, to win whatever they want for parenting time or, or assets or support. Um, but it's, it's not the way you think of winning. Like, you know, some people think, well, if I just give him everything he's asking for, it'll be done. No, because they don't get any narcissistic supply out of that. You haven't, they haven't exhorted control over you. They haven't manipulated you. They haven't made you feel bad. They haven't made you look bad. And, and that's also a game too, is they, they, they make these offers and people actually get involved and talk with their lawyers and pay money to decide on this, this offer. And then poof, oh, Fun. too late. 
it, you know, it's like the, 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 the game show. Beep, you missed the opportunity. We're sorry. Come back later. And, and, and it's, it's a repetitive process. You're sitting there like going, okay, I agreed. Why can't we just make this go away? Then the bar gets hired and, and you're sitting in another battle scene. Um, it's, it's just never pretty. And I wish that we were not saying things are this bad for people, but they need to prepare. This is so important that um, they understand what they're up against because I was blindsided in my divorce and I had no idea what could come, what did happen. Um, and so if, if you can prepare and know this might happen, you're going to be emotionally stronger than getting it smacked in your face. So I think it's- Yeah, a hundred percent. And you won't be surprised when you see it happen. You'll be just like, oh, there they go again, being their narky selves. Okay. You know- um, because, you know, I'll have clients who'll call me up and say, can you believe he did this? Can you believe he did that? And I'll say, yes. Can't you believe it? <laughs> You've been telling me for months how he's a horrible person. <laughs> so just don't be surprised. You know, and, and, and we talked about the, 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 the likeliness of, of a settling in the beginning, not, not going to probably happen. But then there's also mediation, which before we talk about the litigation, which is our, our main goal here, I want people to know that generally courts require you to go to mediation, whether it's, you know, that the narcissist saying, oh, let's go to mediation and work this out. That could be one of the things. Mm -hmm. But sometimes in a courtroom, the judge just sends you back to mediation. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, and in most jurisdictions, mediation is required for all family law cases before you can even go to court. Sometimes it's even required for temporary issues, you know, like you can't go to court on a temporary parenting plan or temporary uh, support until you've mediated that. I mean, you know, so um, <clears throat> it's, it's pretty common. Um, court systems are really, really backed up and clogged, and so they're looking for ways to get things um, off their table. And so um, many times you're jammed into mediation first. Mm -hmm. So, um, and this is something I talk a lot about in my SLAY program as well, which is do not mediate with a narcissist too early on. I mean, you know, this is kind of what you and I were talking about just now, which is if you try to have a, any kind of a settlement conference with a, a, a narcissist while they're still feeling invincible, while they still feel like they have control over you because they have for the past 15 or 20 years or whatever it's been, uh, it is pointless. They will never agree to anything. If they do, it's a trick. Uh, they'll certainly never sign anything. Um, and... Um, you're not going to get anywhere of anything that you want. Um, so the only way mediation works with narcissists, and it does work sometimes, but not, not, not unless you've got some serious leverage going on over them. You have to have a strategy, number one, a full-on strategy as to how you're going to get from point A to point B, which is assuming that that's your end point. You've got to have a strategy, and within that strategy, you have to have leverage, which is, you know, you're simply providing motivation for them to want to come to an agreement. Mm -hmm. um, that's really what it is. And 
for a narcissist, leverage is always somehow going to be tied up into either giving them supply or threatening that their supply is going to be taken away in some way. In other words, that they're going to look bad. Uh, they don't like looking bad in front of judges. They don't like looking bad in front of lawyers or mediators or people they respect. So um, that it could be that. It could be um, their money, which is a source of supply for them as well. Mm -hmm. It could be leaking information about them that they don't want leaked. Uh, like I had a doctor one time who was a narcissist. I was representing the wife. The husband was a doctor and um, he had gotten herpes and inflicted the wife with it and had, you know, affairs, whatever. I mean, he was a pretty well-respected doctor in town and that was information he definitely didn't want leaked. That's good leverage. Um, you know, so um, you have to give narcissists the motivation to want to come to an agreement with you. And um, early on in the process, they don't have it. They have to be beat up by the process a little bit. You've got to build that cage around them. And that's what strategy and leverage allows you to do. Right, right. I call the leverager talked about the smoking gun. Like if you have the thing that they don't want anyone to know. Um, and yet sometimes while you might have that, smoking gun. I had a whole lot of smoking guns in mine and uh, repeatedly in court we would present them and they would lie and cheat and then th those things yeah. were thrown out you know but it was yeah. like oh my god this one they'll be afraid of and well you kind of have to you have to be really careful with your leverage you can't because it's got to be from all different angles you're sort of like building a cage around the wild animal without them noticing that it's being built and leverage can be many different things. It, 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 you know, sometimes if you're lucky, you have that one smoking gun thing, but many times it's actually an accumulation of many things. Mm -hmm. It might be a summary of a hundred different emails that show that he or she lied. Uh, um, or it might be a summary of, uh, where they didn't exercise parenting time on a regular basis, uh, mm -hmm. where they, or they changed parenting time on a regular basis. And that accumulation, that summary shows it all in one place. And then you have to have the supporting documentation behind the summary too. But it, you know, it, it might be a witness who's going to come forward and say something about them, uh, that, that, dispels some myth that they've been proffering to the court or whatever. I mean, it, it, it's more often than not an accumulation of like 30 or 40 things rather than one thing. But, but you know, it's them. And then sitting in a mediation, you've got to have a really strong mediator, a really strong mediator who's going to be willing to tell it like it is and say, listen, you know, narcissist, if you go to court, uh, you're going to look like a jackass. 
Um, and, you know, a lot of times they hire weak lawyers or lawyers that are going to just be their mouthpiece. Um, I always say clients are, are like dogs and dog owners, that they always manage to find the lawyer that kind of goes with them and mirrors their personality. <laughs> I mean, and so um, they, uh, they'll always find that lawyer because a lot of times my clients will be like, won't their lawyer tell them that blah, 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 you know? And I'm like, no, their lawyer is a paid mouthpiece. Their lawyer is there to advocate for their position. So, you know, if they go against their client too much, they're just going to get fired and they'll go on to the next one. And, and And these types of lawyers, they know exactly what buttons to push and how far to push them. So, you know, in, in any specific case, they, they, they know to request from your lawyer 80 times the same documentation you've given 15 times, but they just keep pressing, they keep pressing, they keep pressing and causing you money. And, and so it, it's this sort of like when you've got that, I call them the shark lawyers, you've got that sort of battle ready lawyer against you. These tricks are, you know, they're not gonna actually enter into the court. Right? They might not get there that they've been harassing you for the same documentation you gave them 12 times, but you've, that you've been through this process. Your, your lawyer bill's going up because you've got to respond, you know, and at and, and some point they'll get to the court, oh yeah, we had that piece of paper, oops, <laughs> you know, but that's sort of like the games that they play. Um, and some of it is on, on the actual floor of the courthouse, and some of it is to destroy you and to emotionally wreck you before you get into And wear you down, wear you down. I mean, even, you know, I have clients who get um, upset with me sometimes because we don't have the documentation or we have to continue to file motions to compel or send letters to their lawyer or whatever because, you know, they'll send over you know, it's supposed to be 12 months of bank statements, they'll send over 10 months. And so we have to go through that and see, oh, February's missing and July is missing. Oh, okay, now we have to go back and try to get those. And, um, and meanwhile, you know, the paralegal's billing and, and it's costing them more money. And now they're getting frustrated because they're feeling like we're not getting anywhere. You're not controlling her behavior or his behavior, you know, and there's only so much that a lawyer can do to, you know, control the behavior. You know, it, it all has to be jammed through the judge because the judge is the only one who has any power to order anyone to do anything. Um, and it can be frustrating because sometimes it takes many months to get a hearing and, um, and then it can be frustrating because sometimes judges don't see things the way you think they should. You know, how come the judge didn't see what a liar she is or whatever? I mean, because they sat there. Yeah. How do they get away with that? Um, or sometimes the judges take a long time to rule. So it, you don't get that instant gratification um, that you feel like you want or should have. And the whole process just doesn't necessarily feel fair, unfortunately. A lot of people have a misconception about family court. Um, they think that it's very much like Perry Mason and that you're innocent until proven guilty. And, you know, the gavel's going to come down and give you justice. And, and justice isn't really part of the family court. If, yeah. if your husband has opened 
um, credit cards in your name without your knowledge and has run up $100,000 in bills, the family court judge is not the one. Go to the criminal court. That's a criminal action, but it could also be used as leverage, right? A hundred percent. I mean, that's another great piece of leverage, you know, threatening criminal court or threatening, you know, IRS or whatever. Um, I mean, the problem with IRS, just be careful because if you sign joint tax returns, you're implicating yourself as well. But yeah, those can all be leveraged. But I always say, uh, and I said this even back in my book in 2013, um, that there's a huge difference between divorce law and divorce justice. And, you know, the... The, the, the gavels are not magic wands. They can't, you know, magically turn the other person into a reasonable, decent, caring human being with a conscience who has empathy and actually cares about people. That's not never going to happen. Um, and the, the, the court is an arm of the law. And this is one of the things I really want people to understand the difference between mediation and going to court. The court is an arm of the law. The judge is an arm of the law. So the judge's job is to apply the law. That's the judge's job. If the judge does not apply the law, it's appealable. And the appellate court will, will look, was there an error as a matter of law? And so, and judges are graded. A lot of people don't realize that, but, you know, judges are are graded on how many times they get appealed. And so they don't want it to be appealed. And they're also graded on how fast they move cases off their docket. And so they, they want to move these cases along and they'll just take the safe route most of the time. Most of the time, the safe route is to divide all the assets 50-50, divide the kids 50-50, and, you know, look and see whether or not some alimony is appropriate or not, and do the child support guidelines and get this case off my desk. I mean, and so there's no room for justice in there. There's no room for the other person's wrongdoing or the fact that they might have cheated or been a, a, a crappy wife or, or a terrible husband or whatever. I mean, and, the, the judge just won't care. I mean, no. you know, the fact that they threatened your life or this and that, if they really threatened your life, you should have taken criminal. Go get a straining. Yeah, go get a, get a straining order. And the family judge cares, right? Right. It's, it's like you can sit there and throw all this out. It's the wrong avenue to get that sort of. Yeah. So, so that's where I say mediation is actually the place. If you want something other than what just the law provides, like say you want you know, uh, you're willing to trade assets for time sharing or something like that. Not something I recommend, but just saying like, if that's something somebody is willing to do, that's something that can be accomplished in mediation. I mean, mediation people, you know, if you want to give up a hundred percent of your assets, you can do that in mediation because it's a contract. So understand that when you sign a marital settlement agreement in mediation, it's a contract. And it's governed by contract law and it's enforceable under contract law. And it's not appealable because it, it's a contract that you sign. So your, your uh, recourse, if you don't like the contract, is any kind of recourse that is applicable in contract law. Was there fraud, duress, coercion, uh, you know, things like that. So, um, 
So you can come up with any kind of agreement you want as long as it's not illegal. You can't both agree to sell your children into slavery. Um, you know, uh, you can't agree to deal drugs or something like that. Um, and with the other little caveat that the parenting plan, the judge always has the final authority when it comes to best interests for children. Uh, other than that, you can agree to pretty much anything you want in mediation. So you do have more latitude in mediation. Um, but again, if you're dealing with a narcissist, you do need that um, leverage. Yeah, yeah. So what is the best way um, to prepare for going to court and we're going to litigate? What's the best way to prepare? Well, when you're dealing with a narcissist, preparing for mediation and preparing for court are basically the same process because um, you've got to have super strong strategy and you've got to have um, that leverage ready to go. And so you've got to do your homework. You've got to do every, this is the one thing I, I want to make sure people hear me say today is, you know, the why and my sleigh is focused on your, you and your case. It is so easy to fall into this trap of pointing the finger at how bad the other person is when you're dealing with a narcissist because they give you so much material. I mean, you know, like they, it, yeah, they suck in every way. There's no doubt about it. And you probably have 15 million examples of how much they suck. But if all you have is a defense, that means you have no offense. That means no one's scoring any points for your team. So you, you, you want to make sure that you're focusing on your case too, mostly, you know, what are the strengths of your position? You know, are there business valuations that need to be done? Do them. Are there, is there a lifestyle analysis that needs to be done? Get it done. Is there a custody evaluation? Okay. You know, maybe that needs to be done. Is there, do we need to do some diligence into what this person's actual income is, then we need to do that. Um, you know, do all the homework and have all the research ready to go for your position. Then make sure that you're also doing the research for the other side. You know, I, that's another thing that a lot of lawyers fail to do is they, sit, they, they don't think about, okay, if I'm sitting in the other side's shoes, how would I prepare this case? And now let's be ready to refute everything that they say. It's so much stronger and so much more powerful. If you can go into courts and say, you're probably going to hear them say, blah, blah. Well, here's our response to that. And you just steal their thunder before they even have a chance to say it. You've already brought it up and shot it down. So that's really, really powerful. That's brilliant. I love that. Um, you know, Speaking from a, a victim's perspective, um, I think one of the hardest things that anybody has to deal with is, you know, I think we're way past the lie stage. We're in the false allegations. You stole, you did this, you beat our children, you're not a good parent. You know, these false allegations um, that very often have absolutely no evidence behind them. And, and what I tell people when that happens is get the evidence that you are the good mother. Have they ever been to parent-teacher conferences? 
get a note, get your teachers, get your schools, show that you are the good parent and, and do the due diligence to prove that. Because when they start to call you that, I mean, a lot of people just, they, they, they shrink up and go, how could they say that? They know I took care of the kids every day. I'm the Girl Scout leader. I'm the Boy Scout leader. And, and, and it freaks them out so much that they get blinded by the light and they don't know how to defend themselves when the evidence is right there. You are the good parent. And in that regard too, you could also prove that they've never been to a soccer game or you know all of these things. But then they always throw that washing machine curl in there and they go, all of a sudden, they're going to the soccer games. They're showing up at school and cutting out little cardboard people with the kids and they've never done that how do they go to the judge and go this isn't real like this whole like fake i'm in the divorce i'm gonna go to school and be a good parent and bring cupcakes like how does someone combat that false allegation because that's the hardest thing people deal with mm -hmm. so there's really only two ways um and i've got a great example of this um the, you can get a custody evaluator appointed, a neutral custody evaluator who then does all of that fact finding. It's basically like hiring a, uh, a detective or something. I mean, um, or if you don't want to spend the money or you can't, don't have the money for a custody evaluator, then that means that all those people that the custody evaluator would normally uh, interview, you've got to parade them all in as witnesses into the courtroom. And um, that's uh, extremely uh, also expensive and very time consuming. Um, so remember that the judge doesn't have lots and lots of time. Um, and, and um, you know, even to get a two-day trial is a tremendous amount of time to get out of a judge. And, you know, so two days sounds like two long days. That sounds like a lot of time. You're talking about 12 hours. Two days is 12 hours, just so you know. Um, because even if it's nine to five, um, there, there's going to be uh, breaks. There's going to be lunch. There's going to be lots of, of time where the lawyers are arguing whether or not a, an email is admissible or a text message should be admissible. There's going to be opening arguments. There's going to be closing arguments. There's going to be, um, you know, times that the judge might have to run out and cover uh, a juvenile hearing for 30 minutes or whatever. I mean, this is the real world. I'm giving people real world of what it's like. I've done the hundreds of trials. So that's what it looks like. So you're talking about 12 hours and that's two full days. And that's if you get two full days. Now to do your direct examination and your cross-examination is probably at least three hours at least. And then you've got to do the other sides too. There's your six hours. That's one whole day. So now you've got only one day left. And the other side's going to have witnesses and you're going to have witnesses. So it's really hard to think about how are you going to do that. That's why I do, I am a proponent of custody evaluations if you can afford it and if you can get it. Because then the custody evaluator who's a licensed clinical psychologist will um, get to an interview all the teachers, your mother-in-law, the, the, the neighbor, or the piano teacher, or the soccer coach. Um, 
anyone you want them to. Plus, because this person is a psychologist, that's how you get your psych eval. Um, a lot of people want psych evals of the other person. You're not going to get it unless you put the children at issue. Only if it's under the guise of best interest will you be able to get a psych eval. Um, but there's where you can get it, right there. Um, and so um, th those are the best ways to combat that. So I had a case one time where this guy, I was representing the guy, he was an Italian, tough guy, owned a bunch of uh, uh, Italian restaurants in the area. And, um, you know, he had grown up in a home where corporal punishment was um, part of the norm. And he did not believe in corporal punishment at all. Like every single person, everybody said that he did not agree with that. In the course of the case, the mother uh, decides to accuse my client of beating one of the children. And somehow she's got the pictures of bruises on this kid's legs. I don't know where they came from, but, um, you know, it, even she told the evaluator that he never uh, agreed to corporal punishment and never hit the kids while they were married. But somehow in the middle of the case, he just became this child abuser. Mm -hmm. um, and she ends up getting a, a, a restraining order against him. He doesn't see his kids for like several months. I mean, it was harrowing and awful, but we got the evaluator to basically straight up say that she was a manipulative liar who was doing things to try to get a leg up in the case. Right. And so he ended up with um, ultimate decision-making authority with the kids on, on medical and educational because she had acted unilaterally and um, she ended up with supervised time sharing for a period of time. So um, yeah, I mean, so it can get turned around. I tell people don't give in, don't give up. It can get turned around. Truth will prevail, but you just have to have a certain amount of endurance mm -hmm. and perseverance. Right, right. Wow, I know, I know that that um, this this is the last point. I know we've been talking a long time, and I thank you so much for your time. But um, one of the things that I see is is I call them the gray areas, um, especially when it comes to the the, the children. And I have had people who have um, decrees that are when the child was nine months old and um, they got a divorce and they didn't plan for the future and they didn't plan carefully to make sure that um, you're thinking about things like car, who's going to get the kid a car, who's going to get the kid a, a phone, at what age are they going to get a phone, and are there going to be, uh, who's going to pay for that, and college, college is a huge one. I have a, a client that, um, that they were both very wealthy, and so the husband, okay, I'll pay for college for the kids, put it down in the decree, and, and she thought everything's cool, he's going to pay for college, and then the, the kid got into Brown. And the father said, sorry, I was thinking community college. That's all I want to pay for. So it cost her $30,000 to not have been more specific in that original decree. And I know it's hard because that's just one more thing they're going to have to agree on, right? Um, but in many ways, if people can think through 
in a more future needs of your children way, you're going to avoid going back to court to have things negotiated on later because that's costly and it's, it can or cannot work in your favor. It's, it's another risk that you have. So do we have any advice on that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, the parenting plan should be as specific as possible. And, and it, it's hard to p- possibly predict every single thing, because if, if you've got a two-year-old, it's hard to know that this person is going to become a world-class gymnast. And now all of a sudden, it costs like thousands of dollars to travel all over the world and, and, and pay for competitions and things like that, or hockey, which, has, you know, the gear is really expensive, um, you know. So it's, it's, it's almost impossible to predict everything, but if you can, you know, try to remember as much as you can and put it all in there, it's, it's, it, it will work to your favor. I, I, you know, and sometimes it's difficult because it's like you finally got the person to agree to the number you wanted on the business valuation or the number you wanted on alimony. And you've been sitting in mediation for 12 hours and everybody is just tired and hungry and they just want to go home. And, you know, do you want to bring up that who's going to pay for the prom dress now? I mean, (laughs) you know, it's down to pick your battles. Yeah. I mean, so, but you do in general want to try to get as much into the agreement as you possibly can. I mean, I have a a client who every single year, you know, her ex-husband is supposed to pay for college and he's supposed to pay directly and whatever. And every single year I have to write a letter saying, you know, the tuition was due, where's your, how come you didn't pay? Yeah, it's 10 days past due, you know, and, um, you know, and, and, and then he finally goes and pays it but I, I have to write my annual letter to him every single year to remind him to do it. Um, so, but you know, she's one of the lucky ones because college is not part of child support. Chi- college is a contractual obligation. It's not a statutory obligation. And so um, if you can get it into your marital settlement agreement, more power to you, it's lucky. Because a lot of times it's not, so. That's good to know. Um, I know there's so many things that, that, that come along in a divorce that, um, you know, hit us like a deer in the headlights and um, it almost feels to the victim, um, the non-narc person that um, the world is very unfair because it seems like it should just be, here you go, you get half, you get half, we go away and then we'll have a nice day. Um, Well, it's not going to be fair the way you think it's fair because it's not going to be you know, let's just nicely go our own direction mm-hmm. and and have a, a nice little agreement. Every single person who comes into my office says um, they don't want to fight. Even the narcissist says that. I mean, I think the narcissist sometimes they're either trying to make themselves look good to me or they're, um, they think that they've got it all wrapped up on the other side where they, they're getting the other person under full control. Um, you know, nobody wants to spend a lot of money with a divorce attorney, um, but a lot of people do. So why is that? You know, so obviously not everybody is reasonable. Right. And and I know the, the big fear for people too is, is legal costs, you know, for someone who doesn't have it and it starts to escalate. What are we going to do? How are we going to, how, how will I ever pay this legal bill? Yeah. Um, 
That's why they need to get my program. It'll save you thousands of dollars. An average divorce with a narcissist costs like at least four times more than the average divorce than a regular person. What's the average divorce cost? 15,000. Wow, okay. An average divorce with a narcissist is 60,000. Wow. Well, I guess I win a prize for having a $100,000 one. Ding, ding. Yeah. (laughs) But I have had friends that have paid over a million dollars. Oh, yeah. These are like, you know, these are kind of on the lower end numbers because remember average for those numbers also include, you know, places where maybe in rural Idaho where uh, the highest divorce lawyer is like maybe 200 an hour or something, you know, I mean, so um, I think the numbers are actually kind of on the low end, frankly. So that's why I created the course that I did because I wanted people to have access to the exact process that I would take to prepare a case. Right. And this, and this course that, that we'll put a a link in, um, um, but this course, is it intended for a a person involved in the divorce or is it something they they get and they tell their lawyer, Hey, go watch this. No, no, no. It's for themselves. But I mean, they can certainly share information and help to direct their lawyers on how, you know, like lawyer, here's great leverage. Lawyer, here's a really good strategy we can use. You know, you understand that personality type way better. You know what they're going to do. Right. All right. Well, thank you so much. We'll put a link down below. I I appreciate you being here with me today. You are a wealth of information and um, with your unique knowledge of narcissistic abuse, um, you're, you're one of the good guys on our team. So I am so honored to have you here. And um, everybody will put links down below. You could reach her on her podcast and her YouTube channel. And actually, I think on the side of my YouTube channel, I have recommendations. And you're one of the four that I picked. So yeah, you're on mine too. <laughs> find people right there how to reach her and how to watch her stuff. If you're going through a divorce like this, please know it's, it's, it's something you've got to battle up. You've got to be prepared. And as much as you want to go under the covers and hide and not face this, if you do, it will have lifelong things that will, will, you'll run into if you don't stand up and fight and, and cry afterwards, but be strong when you're there, listen to your lawyer, get a good lawyer and, and fight like your life depends on it because in many ways it might. Because it does. Yeah. Because it does. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.